This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Good evening, gentlemen. Master Bruce sends his profound apologies. He's otherwise engaged. He's been busy a lot since he came back. Yes, indeed. And I hear that you're retiring. I may stick around a while yet. Yet in the darkness, there will be light. That's what you promised Master Bruce all those years ago in the alley. You saved him. Holy mother. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Bat Fans. Yes, we're still here. This is episode 179. My name is Tim, and joining me, as always, is Dane. Dane, how's it going? I think I made the wrong choice, Tim, <laughs> um, by by saying that we should do this podcast uh, a couple hours earlier. <laughs> uh oh. Yeah, because now I'm, I'm tired. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's a good tired because. Um, I I have this to wake me up. Well, that's true. And then also, yeah. if, when we're done, we could always just take a nap afterwards. So. Oh, right. Because <laughs> uh, I thought I might be real tired, too, because you uh, texted me last night, hey, you want to record for hours earlier? Uh, okay, but not sure what time we're going to get, because I was going to go to a late showing of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, last night, <laughs> which mm-hmm. got out of the theater like around 1 o'clock, something like that, or like a little after 12.30, somewhere around there. <laughs> so did I go to sleep to probably like 2.30, but we made it. Yeah. So so how was the the movie? Um, I was really excited for the movie going into it. It was like one of my most anticipated movies of the year. It looked awesome. Loved the trailers. Oh. Oh. But yeah, unfortunately, it just didn't deliver like uh. quite like I was hoping it would, sadly. <laughs> but um, great monster action, which, you know, as the big selling point of the movie, it didn't really disappoint on that front. I mean, the 
whole aspect of it looking so good was seeing Godzilla fight his classic monsters like King Ghidorah, Rodan was in it, Mothra was going to be in it, and all the monsters, they looked great, there were some cool fights, but the thing that held it back for me is that the human element, characters, and story, uh, kind of what I was afraid of, or kind of the thing that I always worry about going into these big monster movies is how are the humans going to factor into it? Will they take too much away from the cool monster action? Will they be annoying characters? Because all I really ask for in these type of movies is great monster action that's at the forefront with human characters that don't annoy me, even if they're like underdeveloped and you know they're not the most interesting, as long as they don't annoy me. But this one, unfortunately, while all the characters didn't annoy me, there were a couple, especially uh, one of the main characters. I forget the actor's name, but he plays like one of the main uh, characters as part of the a family, you know, Millie Bobby Brown's in it as the young girl, of course, you know, for Stranger Things. And she was sadly underused, I felt. I, mean, she, I thought she'd have a bigger role to play. She didn't really. And then her mother plays a scientist for the uh, company Monarch, who's been a thread throughout the course of the first Godzilla movie and Kong Skull Island. And, yeah, just that whole family dynamic they tried to have with those three characters. Um, I felt it focused on a little too much, and I wasn't invested at all And that Unfortunately, I think it came at the expense of some of the cooler action sequences, which was disappointing. And just the overall flow of it, it just kind of felt bland to me as it was going along. Even though amongst we got, when we got to those cool monster action sequences, it was great. But I just felt there were certain elements that took away from it and just had a bland flow overall. So, yeah, unfortunately, wasn't quite what I was hoping for. But mm. it's funny. Um, everyone complains about the 2014 Godzilla movie, how, you know, it was just nothing but set up and teases until we got to the main fight and the main characters, you know, weren't engaging, had no personality. But and, I actually preferred the first one a lot more than the second one, despite <laughs> all that complaints, especially yeah. in the aspect of how oh, it only teased Godzilla and its fights. It actually felt it flowed better to me, had a good pace. And even though a lot of those moments were just teases, they just. They had good impact. I was talking to someone on Twitter today, uh, someone I follow named Rich Brockwell, who brought up that out. Now, Gareth Edwards has this great eye for having these like big, impactful moments that um, are throughout the film, even though it might not be this grand, epic battle until we got to the end. I felt the first one had those impactful moments building up to that finale. It just had a better flow with it. So, yeah, I enjoyed the first one a lot more than I did the second one. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but... You don't actually see. I mean, it's it's kind of in silhouette, right? The the big fight at the end of Godzilla, the first one. No, you see him. You, you, oh, they you totally go all out, yeah. So but that yeah. would have been really disappointing. Yeah. It was all build up, and then at the end, they didn't have nothing. <laughs> yeah, and that seems to be the problem with like these Godzilla movies is where it's. The the fighting is good, but it's the story, the human story that sucks, right? Yeah, well, I didn't feel that way with the first one. I, got, I thought the human story aspect was, you know, it was fine for what it was trying to set up that evolved around Godzilla. Yeah. But this one, it felt like that had that where they tried to have the human element connect with Godzilla, but some of it did and some of it didn't. And the stuff that didn't, I felt was up the forefront a little too much. In this one, which took away from it, and the acting wasn't great. But like I said, the character, the main uh, character actor, uh, Kyle Chandler, was the actor's name, and I never seen him in anything. But man, he was not good in this. <laughs> Just, Why? 
Yeah, just the way he delivered his lines, it, it felt like he was, mm-hmm. you know, invested in the role. And like I said, he was part of that family dynamic. He was the father of Millie Bobby Brown's character. And yeah, it just didn't feel it was an unnecessary thing, an element that they had in the movie, which I could have done without. And just, you know, focus more on that monster action. <laughs> but the stuff they set up in the world building with Godzilla and the monsters and how they exist in on Earth, I, all that was good. It was just some of the other elements in it that, you know, didn't involve that with the humans that took away from the film. So if I had to score it, I'd probably give it, I'd probably give it two and a half out of five. I could wow. give it, a, I could give it a three if I really wanted to push it because of those cool sequences it had. The one with Rodan, that was an awesome sequence. That was probably my favorite of the movie, even though <laughs> that was kind of in the middle, not the big climactic fight. I just love what they did with Rodan because he's always been a favorite of mine of uh, Godzilla monsters. But yeah, it just wasn't enough to quite, you know, thrill me that I was hoping it would and kind of like the first one and even Kong Skull Island did. So, yeah, unfortunately, not quite what I was hoping for, but still excited for the Godzilla King Kong movie that's going to come out, I think, 2020 next year. So hopefully this one's just a little bump in the road so we get <laughs> more cool monster <laughs> action. I did like that first Godzilla movie, though. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, I thought it was a good introduction, a good way to build up yeah. to Godzilla, but... Have you seen uh, Gareth Edwards' Monsters? No, that's something I do want to check yeah. out, though. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's really good. Uh, it focuses more on the human story rather rather than the the monsters. I mean, the it's it's a you know it's sort of like I guess like the the cliff notes of the story is you know a guy has to go find a um, or he's hired by this guy to find his daughter, mm. and that's pretty much the basics of the story and yeah there's like big monsters and stuff but it's mostly about the human story rather than the the monster story is it kind of the same way that godzilla was where you don't see the monsters until the very end where it's kind of like a slow build up to them no no you you, you see them throughout it's just mm, they're not the main focus it's it's sort of like it's it's like the background story like there's this invasion alien invasion but uh, you're mostly focused on this guy trying to find this other guy's daughter. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wait to yeah, check you that should out. check it out. Yeah. It's by Gareth, Gareth Edwards. You know, Rogue One. Oh, how could I not could know that not? name? Kathleen <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kennedy always said it was that movie, Monsters, that you know wanted her to hire him for Rogue One I mean, really? before Godzilla, actually. So. Hmm. I mean, I, you know, shows about. How good that movie is, so I should check to see if it's available to stream anywhere, or if not, maybe just rent it. But, but. I'm wondering, like, what, what part of that? Because it's like you look at monsters, and and then you look at Rogue One, and there's kind of like nothing that they have in common. <laughs> maybe just the way he shot and filmed it. I guess that really mm-hmm. stood out. Yeah. So yeah, that's my short but sweet review, or not so sweet review, I should say, <laughs> of Godzilla King of the Monsters. But. Uh. It was cool to see all those iconic monsters be on the screen like never before. The effects look great, though. Like I said, tons of cool epic shots. Um, just wish that human element and their, those characters took away from it, unfortunately. But with that, I guess we can get right into the bulk of our episode. Of course, starting out with our Dark Knight Rises minute-by-minute commentary. And we are going to be going from minute um, 127 to 128 for the 2 hour and 7 mark to the 2 hour and 8 mark. And as always, you can get your relevant media format, your VHS, your Betamax, your DVD, 
your HD DVD, your Laserdisc, your Blockbuster membership card, your Netflix physical media, and as always, oh, I forgot the projector, <laughs> the classic, <laughs> but our favorite, the VHS to DVD converter. So if you got all any of those players, boot up the Dark Knight Rises, and I'll get the countdown. You, ready, uh, you, you did forget one, too. Um, but I always do. Which one yeah. is it this time? Uh, I believe it is beta. Yeah, I think I forgot beta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, all you beta max uh, users <laughs> out there, I'm sorry. Sorry if I offended you by leaving you out. <laughs> yeah, all two of you. Yeah. <laughs> if there's that many. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I'll give the countdown. You ready, Dane? Yes. Three, two, one, go. As we see Foley making his way towards the window, as we're going to see the epic flame bat signal on the bridge. Which it's a cool shot, but I kind of wish there was, you know, a big, more epic close up shot of that bat signal in the flames. It looks really cool. Yeah. And still on that cool shot of Batman in the snow, or on the ice, I should say. But the fl- the flame light glow went out, so not quite as cool as his entrance. Though. Yeah, and also it's like we're still standing on ice. Yeah, I mean like frozen lakes. <laughs> let's let's get onto solid ground and and then we can talk. Yeah, we have that great entrance. Gordon's happy to see him, but then you know, get let's get out of there, like you said. <laughs> and will this be the end of John Blake? I don't know, Tim. Is it? <laughs> no. And we're trying to get the whole thing, but I always like this short little brief action sequence with Batman and Bane's thugs right here. But I guess we'll continue on more with it in our next episode. But yeah, so we'll get more, hopefully, action. We're getting closer and closer to the epic finale of The Dark Knight Rises, so uh, it's going to be nothing but action for the next few episodes as we're getting to that, so should be fun. Yes, uh, the big daytime fight. Yes. The only time Batman has been seen during the day. That's for sure. And most, I want to, part of me wants to say of all the live action movies except the 1966 one. But yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think for sure on the Burton Schumacher ones. I don't M- think so. Might have been in the day at one point. I'm not sure, but maybe not. Mm. I guess when we do commentaries for all those four movies, <laughs> if I hit it, we'll find out. <laughs> no, no, Tim, we, we have to do a super long movie. So I'm thinking either Last Jedi, which is like, what is it, two hours and... Just about two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. Um, or we can do The Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring commentary. I know. I'm still not sure which one I want to do for Because yeah. <laughs> I would love to do both a little bit. Um, you know, if we if we do do the uh, Fellowship of the Ring, I wonder how many episodes it's going to take for us to get to that beginning part where um, Kate Blanchett is giving the the monologue about the yeah. ring. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how long that's going to take. Yeah, at least a good fifteen to twenty, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty long. <laughs> it's going to take like four months <laughs> to, to get through that. Um, but it'll be worth yeah. it. There's so many great shots in moments of that. But we still got a ways to go in the Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> even yeah. though we're close. So got a ways to go. But with that, we can go ahead and get into our feature topic. 
for this episode. And on our last episode, we mainly did some reviews and recaps on movies uh, that we saw during the break and spaces between our last two episodes. But this one, we're going to do some TV finale episodes, as even on our last one, we talked about Game of Thrones season eight and what we thought of the season. But uh, we recorded the day before the finale, so we didn't get to see how it wrapped up. Now we have, and now we'll see what we thought of it. But another show I wanted to talk about that ended, which did get a chance to on our last episode with all the stuff uh, we were going over, was that Gotham ended um, about a month ago, and it had its series finale. So I wanted to give my thoughts on how the series ended, because I stuck with that show <laughs> from watched it when it first premiered, as many Batman fans did, you included, Dane, but like you, a lot didn't stick around. <laughs> yeah after that first season or even during that first season but i stuck with it and yeah it's gonna be remembered as a crazy part of batman's tv history it was a show that i don't think any of us were expecting it to be as it was we were all thinking it was going to be you know your standard police procedural type drama but set in gotham with jim gordon but it went way beyond that (laughs) and really went deep dive into a lot of the batman mythos um already before he was batman which you know, a lot of it was eye-rolling, a lot of it wasn't great, but a lot of it was still entertaining, and I do think they did some interesting stuff with some of the scenarios and characters that they had on there, so I don't think it was a complete fail and messed up the history legacy of Batman like some do believe, but that's um, over now. <laughs> Five seasons, the series ended. So the last season, um, it was only uh, 13 episodes, I believe, so it was a shorter, or sh- 12 episodes. It was a shorter season, but um, where season four left off, you kind of knew they were going to do their own version of No Man's Land, um, which pretty much what's what the season was. And for the most part, I thought uh, it was a pretty interesting scenario and setup for the season as we got uh, the different areas of Gotham being controlled by different gangs and villains, kind of like the comic. The police had their section. Uh, Scarecrow had his own section. Penguin had his. So a lot of different uh criminals and gangs throughout Gotham City fighting for control of different areas of Gotham, which made for some um, interesting episodes and entertaining ones, I will say, um, kind of doing their own thing with it. But kind of during the middle and the end is where it kind of got way too much of trying to be like the Dark Knight Rises, like way too much. <laughs> like the coincidences were just too obvious. It's like, come on, you're going that way? Because throughout the course of the season early on, Gordon's trying to get help from the government, you know, to send aid and to help, you know, bring Gotham back. <laughs> the reunification is the word they wanted to use. And the government wasn't helping. Um, there was this one character who, I forget her name, but she was, you know, Gordon's main contact in the mainland. And she was giving all these different reasons why they can't help yet. They're doing all they can. But the real reason is because of this character. She was actually Nissa Al Ghul, not Talia Al Ghul, Nissa Al Ghul. And um, she wanted to destroy Gotham. Why? Because it was her father's racial ghouls planned. And what happened to him? He was killed by Bruce Wayne in season four. So like the Dark Knight Rises, she was out for revenge on Bruce for killing Rachel Ghoul, her father, and at the, at the same time destroy Gotham like her father wanted. Does that sound familiar enough for you, Dane? <laughs> no, it doesn't, Tim. <laughs> well, in case it didn't, here's another thing. <laughs> Guess who her main henchman was to try to fulfill her plan when she made herself known to Gotham? Take a wild guess what villain it was. Um, was it Calendar Man, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so close, Dane. <laughs> oh. 
Yeah, Only well. Calendar Man was in The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously it was Bane. Yeah, so right. just like Talia used Bane in The Dark Knight Rises to kind of bring about her plan. Even this version of Bane, though, I'm sorry, was just not good. <laughs> this will, he will go down as one of the worst uh, adaptions that Gotham had made to one of Batman's classic villains. Uh, first, they tried to give him more backstory for him being an old uh, friend of Jim Gordon while they both served in the army. And he was a, someone who, you know, always did whatever it takes to get the job done, even if it cost uh, certain lives that were involved. So he was someone that Gordon saw, you know, kind of fall from grace, grace sort of speak, from what he knew him in the army. But he was being set up to be the bad guy. And then when an accident happened, I forget, he had a shootout with Jim, but I don't know if it was just gunshot wounds or just some other type of wound he had during their fight where he got injured and the only way to you know save his life was to give him that bane mask which looked awful <laughs> and his voice that wasn't quite you know trying to copy tom hardy's but you could tell there was a little influence there so just all that stuff just made me go ah you started off good by doing your own version of no man's land but then you just went full-blown dark knight rises mode so that was a little disappointing uh, but uh before the last episode the penultimate one they stop Miss Al Ghul, they defeat Bane, they bring uh, Gotham, they were able to get government help finally that all the threats have been, you know, foiled and Gotham uh, could be set up for reunification again. So that's how the penultimate episode ended. And as well as Bruce leaving Gotham to go on his training, uh, he felt, you know, he needs to leave Gotham kind of in a way to protect it because a lot of the uh, catastrophes and evil that has been brought to Gotham was because of Bruce. And those wanted to kill him or you know, go after him. So he decided to leave to protect Gotham. But that's when he goes on his training to become Batman. So the final episode, ironically titled The Beginning, <laughs> is that 10 years later after you know the events of the season five. And it starts off, everyone was wondering, you know, is Gordon going to have his mustache in the final episode? And when we last, we finally see him with Batman. But we see it right away <laughs> as we flash forward. And he has that mustache. But then he shaves it like not even 10 or 15 minutes within the episode because everyone was giving him flack for it. Like, oh, come on. <laughs> he did look like uh, Jim Gordon with that mustache. And then McKenzie was able to, you know, pull off the Gordon look with that mustache. But they saved it off. And it would have been nice to have that for the final shot. But um, so that was one little nitpick. But overall, I thought the finale kind of was kind of a mixed bag for me. I liked how they were setting up. Bruce becoming Batman and Batman, him coming back to Gotham and Batman making himself known throughout Gotham because the episode is focusing on, you know, the return of Bruce Wayne. He's been gone for 10 years. Wayne Tower has been rebuilt because it got destroyed uh, midway through the season. And they're having this grand reopening. They're welcoming back Bruce. But um, there's been, you know, attempts to blow it up again. There's been threats. And Gordon is thinking, oh, it's probably, you know, Penguin and Riddler who've just been released from Arkham. They're back to their old tricks already. So he's trying to figure out if they're the ones to do it. But how I, what I liked about the episode is that over the course of it, you see Batman. You don't see Batman, but you, you know that he's back and you see his silhouette, his shadow, take out some some criminals and foil some plans to blow up the building. And the way they shot it and have Batman just work from the shadows it it was pretty effective and where you just see a silhouette and you, know, you see him run out of the building to not to be seen. That stuff was done pretty well, I should say, as a way, kind of what we're talking about with the first Godzilla movie, ways it teased you to show, you know, we're just going to be a little bit of Batman, but you know we're going to show him later on at the end. So it was effective in that way. And I got to say, um, 
the actor who played young Bruce, David Mazzos. I'm butchering his last name, I know. But uh, he pulled off the Batman voice pretty well, I will say, as the old, even though he had to make himself sound older and more rough. And there's probably a little vocal effect going on there, but I thought he pulled it off really well. He had one of the better Batman voices, I will say. He thought he did a good job there. So as the big event for the reopening of Wayne Tower and Bruce Wayne coming back to Gotham is underway, um, it's revealed that uh, Jeremiah Valeska, a.k.a. Joker, <laughs> finally became Joker in this one. Um, there was actually a really great episode in the middle of the season called Ace Chemicals, which is pretty much the origin for this version of Joker. But it was actually a pretty good Joker-Batman story that just established you know, their crazy relationship and how, in a strange way, uh, this ver- that Joker loves Batman and you know wants to do these crazy messed up for things out of because of their relationship that they have. And it was uh, Jeremiah kind of recreating the night the Waynes died. It was this, this twisted story and that he tried to do to, for Bruce as kind of like, you know, show his appreciation for him in this twisted way. But it ended up being a, a good Joker Batman story. I will say that ended up him falling into the bat of chemicals uh, in ACE chemicals in that episode. And then the finale 10 years later, we see that he's in Arkham and you've seen those images of how the Joker looks, and you know, a lot of people hated it and said it was the worst Joker ever. But I was one of the few who kind of defended it and still said it felt like Joker. But just this crazy, twisted, messed up version of him was, you know, half his you know hair burnt off. You just see these strands of his hair, and he looked better in motion as I was seeing the episode. And it made for, you know, a sequence that I was hoping we get a little more shown, like get to see Batman a little more because we just gotten the teaser where you see the battering go into his hand and while it was a pretty cool sequence i wish we did get more of a batman joker confrontation instead of you know not seeing batman and just i don't think we even got a silhouette shot of him in that sequence if i'm remembering right it's been a while since i seen the episode i only saw it once <laughs> when it aired a month ago so um and the whole point of uh joker being at these chemicals he kidnapped uh barbara gordon who obviously 10 years later um, he had, he did have uh, him and Barbara Keen in this episode, had a daughter and now she's older as uh, 10 years old, but Joker, uh, I guess I, I'm just going to call him Joker. Cause even though they don't say that in this episode, they kind of tease of what he should be called now because he's not Jeremiah Valeska. They don't say Joker, but you know, we all know who he is. So Joker kidnapped her, but you know, Batman was able to foil his plan and, you know, show Jim Gordon that, you know, he's not a threat. He's not like all the other <laughs> crazes in Gotham showing that he's going to help. So he foils that Joker's plan there. And so that was pretty much the big threat. It was like, who's behind this, you know, going to destroy Wayne Tower and end up being, you know, Joker was all his plan and kind of framing uh, Riddler and Penguin to throw the police off the scent and make him chase them instead of him. But so throughout the episode, like I said, we get teases of Batman taking down criminals like Joker and then eventually Penguin and Riddler who were in full blown in their costumes. <laughs> there were shots that leaked out of them in their costumes and it, it looked pretty good it was kind of cool to see uh, robin lord taylor who did a great job as penguin throughout the series and finally in that whole penguin get up so the episode um uh, i should say another thing about it was uh selena kyle played a role in this episode who you know they actually aged her up obviously and they got a new actress to play her but she looked just like <laughs> the original actress who played her throughout the first five seasons so they did a good job casting an older selena kyle here and she's full on Catwoman, pretty much becoming a thief. And her costume, not quite 
Catwoman costume just yet, but it was, you know, didn't quite have the full cat ears on there, but the, the rest of the suit, um, you know, that that's eventually the patch she's going to go. And uh, she's pretty upset with Bruce because he didn't even tell her he was leaving 10 years ago and she hasn't heard from him since. And so, but she knows he's, he's back when she, you know, sees the reports about Batman and they kind of have a little chat on the rooftop where Bruce is just in, you know, out of focus behind her, not saying much, but saying he's sorry and he had to leave uh, to protect her and all that type of stuff. So they had their moment and kind of set up the future Batman Catwoman relationship. That's what we know is going to take place. So that led up to the final shot of the episode where Jim Bullock, Alfred and Lucius are all on the GCPD rooftop um, about to take the cover off of the big floodlight on the roof. And in season four, I believe Jim Gordon shined it in that finale saying, you know, there's got to be light in Gotham to show that there's hope. And he wants to do that again, you know, signifying that pretty soon that hope is going to be Batman with the bat signal. And because of, Jim's earlier encounters in the episode with Batman, even though not physically seeing him or meeting him, he knows he's probably going to be out there and realizes he's going to be that beacon of hope for Gotham. And so as the four of them are on that rooftop, they're about to shine it on. They see Batman just swing across, you know, the Gotham City's skyline, goes on a rooftop. Bullock is shocked. He's just like, oh, holy mother, what is that? <laughs> and then Gordon just looks up. I, they didn't say it, but he has a good indication of knowing who that is because Alfred and Luther are kind of teasing, like, you know, well, Bruce regrets he couldn't be here and all that stuff. And Gordon's putting two to two together. He probably figures well, that's Bruce. And so when he sees Batman on that rooftop, he just goes, he's a friend. And so the camera pans up and we get our full blown shot of Bruce in the Batman costume for the first time in the series, which was a pretty cool moment. But my nitpick with it is that I felt the finale was a little smallville-ish <laughs> in that finale, how they didn't really give you that great Superman moment or shot where, you know, it's just a CG Superman suit over Tom Willing and they never had a full-blown body shot, just like a close-up headshot or a far-away shot where it's just a CGI model of a Superman suit. That's always bugging me about that smallville finale. While Gotham wasn't quite that bad, the way they kind of had... Batman out of focus in some shots, like when he was talking to Selena and just having like these quick, fast shadow silhouette shots in the beginning, which were great. And like I said, just a great setup to what eventually I was hoping we get more of Batman, but we didn't really get that. And it was just one close up shot of him on the skyline where you saw him in full blown cape and cowl. And the suit wasn't that bad. It's, it's not the greatest, but it's not the worst either. I thought the actor playing Bruce looked good in the cowl too. Even though, you know, it was supposed to jump 10 years. He didn't age 10 years, obviously, but he felt like, you know, it wasn't older Bruce under that cow. So um, all that was good. I just felt we could have gotten a little more like full blown established Batman shots um, kind of towards the end of the episode to really have a great payoff of seeing him as Batman. So that's where it ended. Batman is established in Gotham. The villains know who he is. Penguin and Riddler encounter him and they're already he's establishing that fear amongst the criminals. That him and Joker's relationship got established a little bit here. So everything's set up for, you know, Batman to go against his classic rogues, even though he's met them and known them for about 10 years earlier <laughs> as a little kid. So it's kind of what you expected from Gotham. And so if I were to rate it, I'd give it probably a three and a half out of five. Wasn't horrible. Wasn't a great finale. But the Batman stuff was still cool to see. I mean, just as a diehard Batman fan, seeing those Batman elements be established in this episode after watching it for five years was cool. So overall, I'd say it was a, it was a good finale. Not great. But and 
the series as a whole, definitely, definitely not for everyone. Definitely made you scratch your head, roll your eyes, and just you know question what they were thinking. But at the same time, I still enjoyed it for what it was. Once you took it and knew what it was trying to be, it was still ended up being an entertaining show. So. Congrats on five years. To be honest, I didn't think it would last that long. So <laughs> it made it five years and it ended the way they wanted to. So got to give it kudos for that. So did I entice you to watch the whole series now, Dane? <laughs> After Not, really. <laughs> Not really. Not <laughs> really. Kind um, of. Um, but did you like the, on YouTube or commercials see that last shot of him as Batman? No, I mean I'm I'm good. <laughs> I, I don't really need to see that. <laughs> it's not as bad as you would think. So it's really? like it's not gonna blow you away, but it's not gonna go like oh, what were they doing? <laughs> it, it looks like Batman, I'll say that. <laughs> but moving on to a show that I think everybody <laughs> was watching and could not wait to see how it wrapped up after Years of success and being one of the most popular TV shows ever as Game of Thrones season eight, episode six, titled The Iron Throne. <laughs> so uh, I'll let you start with this one thing. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how it ended. Just right. based on what you said last episode, kind of you're just hoping to, you know, be entertained and just accept what the story they're trying to tell. So how was it for you? Yeah, so pretty much uh, I'm just on board just um, just gonna watch it right kind of like what i was saying in our last episode where it was more like you know just tell me the story i'm not gonna critique you like how other people you know on twitter and stuff over every little thing you know they've been criticized oh yeah that's for sure <laughs> yeah well for me i'm just gonna watch it and I thought it turned out really good. Um, I'm not going to lie. It was rushed. It wasn't written very well. Um, then you kind of think about it as, you know, they have to wrap up every single storyline, or at least almost every single storyline in one episode, mm -hmm. so or two episodes. So, yeah, it's going to be rushed. They're not going to get through everything. It's, things are going to be overlooked, right? So, with that in mind, yeah, I thought it was really good. Yeah, I mean, just right off the bat, I was very satisfied with how it ended. And I, I would definitely agree with you that this episode and pretty much the whole season, that rush factor really was felt. Where, you know, certain things were moving a little too fast here and... Just how much better it could have been if they had more episodes or another season two to, you know, really flesh out the events that happened here. And yeah, as we were talking about on our last episode after the events of episode five, where uh, Daenerys pretty went, went full blown Mad Queen and destroyed King's Landing okay. and all those innocent people there. Really curious how it was going to end, and I figured, you know, uh, one of John or Danny is not going to make it out of this finale. One of them's going to die, <laughs> and it ended up being Daenerys and you know I I gotta say what I liked about it just you know I mean, it's not that I like seeing Daenerys do that and kind of fall from grace but I wasn't expecting her story to kind of be a tragic one and see a downfall of a character who was good but kind of over the events that happened just recently when she got to Westeros and as we talked about that one instant where she had to make a decision a very important decision that you know caused really caused her downfall and then just seeing how kind of it, 
was going to lead her down a very dark path. And we said it before, too, how that Anakin comparison comes in here. And I really think it's appropriate and applicable to her scenario here, how she just kind of, you can see in the beginning of this episode, kind of going mad with power, so to speak, saying how, you know, that speech she gave, which, by the way, her entrance to that uh, part of King's Landing where she was going to make that speech where you see Drogon fly up and her the, his wings kind of be positioned behind her to look like they're her dragon wings. Oh, right. <laughs> that was an <laughs> awesome shot. <laughs> but, oh, also, Tim, uh, before you go on, are you happy with with the fact that John finally pet Ghost? Um, big time. <laughs> <laughs> Dare I say one of the high, the highlight of the episode? <laughs> yeah, the highlight like, for you. <laughs> it was like they obviously they knew that we're going to go to that and just leading up to that. But part of me still thinks, you know, why couldn't they just do that multiple times? Like that episode where he said goodbye and then he sees him here <laughs> when he goes to yeah. the wall. But definitely a great moment that he does both characters deserve. <laughs> And, and also, you know, when they're having the council um, thing, mm. and uh, what's his name? Oh, man, I forget his name. Uh, Sam uh, gets up and he's like, oh, if, you know, if the people, or, or, <laughs> or right. why don't we let the people vote on who should be the king? I was like, oh, Tim was right. They, they I, are going to turn it into a democracy. I was going to say, oh, are they actually going to do it? Yeah. <laughs> The thing I thought was just say it as a joke. Is it actually going to come to fruition? But it didn't. But I kind of like that they threw it in there and just how everyone laughed at it. (laughs) Like how crazy an idea that would be. I just thought it was funny because when he stood up and said that, I was like, oh, Tim was right. (laughs) The one prediction I I was close to getting right on. (laughs) No, but yeah, going back to Daenerys, that whole speech she was giving, I mean, she was how she was talking about you know liberating Westeros and you know freeing the people, but it probably would end up being what she did to King's Landing there. And obviously, John and Tyrion knew that. And I love Tyrion's moment there. Just um, you know, when she accused him, "You freed your brother," and he goes, "And you destroyed the city." And he just took off the hand of the king emblem and just threw it on the ground, <laughs> showing that he was completely done. And yeah. It's, him having to convince him and Arya trying to convince John that you know she's it has to be stopped because this is going to happen all over Westeros if we allow her to live and do this and that's how torn John was and that moment that whole entire scene of Danny seeing the Iron Throne touching it and kind of going back to that vision she had in season two where she saw the throne room of King's Landing but it was all covered in snow but now it was mainly ash <laughs> because of what she did to it and. Just, seeing the throne but not actually sitting on it and that came to fruition she just saw it touched it but never got to sit on the iron throne and the i figured you know it was a tough moment to see these two you know main characters throughout the course of the series and see john had to kill daenerys it was tough to watch but at the same time i thought it was done it was shot beautifully acted well just for what they were trying to achieve they pulled it off really really well and selling the you know, significance and, you know, the sadness of that moment. Like I said, the downfall of Daenerys and John having to be the one uh, to kill her for the good of all, you know, Westeros. And it was just how much pain that had to cause him. And I thought Kit Harrington did a good job of selling that, just his grief and just crying over um, after he had to put that knife in her heart. But uh, then the toughest moment is when Drogon came in. And uh, the, the part that got me a little bit was when he was just, you know, trying to wake up Daenerys putting his you know snout like on her body trying to wake her up and she wasn't moving you just see the pain that drogon was feeling 
knowing that he just lost his mother. It, that was tough. <laughs> big, right. big animal lover here. Anytime you see animals and sorrow or pain just gets to me. So, but then just hearing him let out that roar, that awesome shot of you know his wings spreading to see John. <laughs> it's a great wide shot that you see the big giant drogon and then you see how small john is in comparison and then i was wondering oh, is he just going to be it for john is he going to be killed by the dragon but i just loved how he's you know subverted expectations there and just destroyed the iron throne because i think there was a theory where the connection that the, dr- the dragons have you know with the targaryens and the ones that they bond with they kind of have a special unique link i would think where they know kind of what their masters you know want in life i guess and in a way he knew that any everything danny was after was the iron throne and that was kind of the cause of her downfall and that's why he destroyed the iron throne or a part there was a part of him that knew that that was the reason and i just love visually and just the significance of drogon being the one destroying and melting the iron throne it was just a great moment that whole sequence i thought like i said was done beautifully and i loved it, it probably the you know, the highlight of the episode just showing, I mean, it was tough to watch. Like I said, it wasn't expecting, you know, the story of Daenerys Targaryen to be a tragedy, but it was. But the way that they, it was told, you know, despite it being rushed and all that, that pivotal moment right there, I thought was done well. And then the other big thing of who became the king of Westeros, <laughs> I think it was <laughs> right. someone that not all of us were expecting. I know I definitely wasn't where it was Bran <laughs> to become <laughs> the ruler, but. I actually really like that idea because um, it fits where, you know, the whole thing about Daenerys wanting to break the wheel and that was her goal. And that was another thing I liked about the episode where even though, you know, she, you know, kind of gone mad with power here and showed her evil, evil side a little bit, her mission was a success in a way where the wheel was broken, a new king of the new king of Westeros is someone different, not of any, you know, royal blood, someone who can't, you know, as they Sansa brought out, that can't have any heirs to rule after. And that's going to be a whole new establishment for Westeros and how a new king will be chosen by a special council. And I just felt Bran was the perfect choice for that because he's someone who knows the history of Westeros as he's the three-eyed raven now and knows the past, knows the future. He would be the perfect one to rule and not really tied to any you know, too much like family emotions and stuff as he displays now when talking to anyone. And yet he has that knowledge of past mistakes that people have done of of Westeros and could be a good guiding force to lead it into, you know, new prosperity, I should say. So I like how it ended on that front as far as, you know, establishing a very different um, rule for Westeros and the possibilities that can come from that. So I thought that was great. Don't don't they also uh, laugh at um, uh, what's his name uh, Tully Tully right Oh yeah Edmir Tully Yeah Edmir yeah. Tully <laughs> It's like how old be king Yeah <laughs> so just sit down yeah. <laughs> Like yeah that guy is like can't catch a break up the course of the series There's yeah. that moment I forget what season it was but it was when uh, Catelyn's father died and they're having their funeral procession He's supposed to fire the flame arrow. Oh, right. And he misses like three shots or something. <laughs> Everyone's just like, uh, come on. And then, you know, he's supposed to, you know, he was involved with the Red Wedding. He was the one who got married during that wedding and ends up being a prisoner there. So, like, I just can't catch a break. I actually thought it was going to be Sansa that um, was going to be the queen of, of uh, Westeros um, because she wouldn't 
she wouldn't uh, bend the knee to any ruler, right? Yeah. So I thought maybe it would make her, you know, the, the queen, and it would all be united again. Yeah, I think that was definitely one that was on the table that I could have seen happen, but I really liked how it went off here where, you know, her whole thing was fighting for the North to be free, and the fact that she got that and she ends up being queen of Winterfell right. and the North, I thought was, you know, a very fitting and I thought a well earned and deserved ending for Sansa after everything she's been through throughout the course of the series. So I liked how not, not really, because there's there's not much North left. Right? Yeah, well it's gonna be her responsibility to try to build back up what happened. <laughs> and so <laughs> Uh, that's another thing now. No longer the Seven Kingdoms. It's, you know, Brand the Broken, ruler of the Six Kingdoms, as Tyrion said. Um, speaking of endings, I, I thought Arya had the best ending. And, yeah. you know, I, I kind of hope that they don't do a... And I'm not sure what the plans are for the spinoffs, but I'm, I hope they don't do anything with that. Right I, now I, they're I saying they're they, not. Oh, okay. Yeah, I hope that... You know, they don't touch that, and then you know she just goes off. What's west of Westeros? You know, yeah, just leave it up to your imagination. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I yeah. also didn't expect um, uh, John's ending. Same here. Uh, yeah, he gets sent to the to the wall again, but then he he goes beyond the wall into uh, into the real north. If you yeah. ask uh, Tormund. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I was expecting that, but that was one where I kind of was a little disappointed by because I mean I'm not really? sure how much they can do, but I just didn't like you know the repetitiveness uh, if I could say it, the repetitiveness of it where oh he started off with the Night's Watch and now he's going back to the Night's Watch. That's ultimately where he ended up over the course of the you know big adventure that he went on yeah. back there so you can kind of say oh it's, it fits because it all comes full circle he's going to where he wanted to go at the beginning i could see that but i couldn't help but be a little disappointed that that was his ultimate you know you know fate over the course of the series and i don't know part of me thinks you know yeah it would have been cool if he became king but part of me wasn't expecting that because he didn't want it and at the same time the whole point of you know breaking the wheel and establishing something new that wouldn't be the case if he became king, because he'd just be another Targaryen to rule on the to rule over Restoros, even though he would have been a good king, I think, and probably the best one that a Targaryen would have to rule. So, but I didn't think they would go that way because it felt something had to change. Um, so, again, I don't know what they would have done with John in his story, but I just felt him going back to the Night Night's Watch was a little anticlimactic, but. At least we got that ghost reunion, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. And like you said, too, he doesn't look like he's going to stay there, but he's going to live with, you know, the wildlings, the true northerners, as you said. So right. that's probably going to be, you know, what his life's going to be. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, you mentioned about you don't want to see any, like, sequel TV series of, like, Arya and her journey. But uh, further down the line, even if it's not a TV show, we'll get to know what these characters have been through afterwards. Like Tyrion said, when John was asking him, if, you know, this whole new uh, way of going about things with Bran as king and this new era for Westeros, if it's going to work, Tyrion just says, ask me in 10 years. <laughs> I would be very curious to see how things are 10 years and what the characters are up to. So I also yeah, like but... the goodbye moments that the Starks had. That was another thing I loved about the finale. The Starks really came out on top and as winners <laughs> over the course of the series after all the crap they went through over the course of the series 
to have them pretty much be the rulers of Westeros, Bran over the Six Kingdoms, and Sansa over the North. But they're in charge now, and you wouldn't have thought that would be the case after, at one point during the series, they thought their entire family was wiped out, and now they're pretty much in power, which was awesome to see because they deserved it. So, you know, yeah. you know, speaking of spinoffs, I want to see the Tormund spinoff. <laughs> I'm sure you and a lot of fans would. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I, this is probably my only criticism of the of the show. I mean, the the episode. Uh, but why was Bron on the the council, uh, Bran's council? Uh, I think it was all because of Tyrion. Obviously, he had to pay back what they promised him to make him oh. the ruler of Highgarden, and I think. Even though Bronn always says he'll just go to whoever pays him the most, I think him he really considers Tyrion a friend. And now that, I guess, cause the Game of Thrones, quote-unquote, is done <laughs> throughout yeah. Westeros, he can finally accept that now that he is a lord. He has a, you know, a castle that he's always wanted. He could I could really take into that friendship he had with Tyrion. So I'm uh, surprised he was the master of coin, though. Yeah, <laughs> no. Take like, on that responsibility. It didn't make any sense, but... Um... I lied. I actually have two criticisms. Um, you know, we saw uh, the Tully guy, Edmir Tully. You know, we saw, um, I forget the kid's name, uh, but the, the the eerie guy. What's uh, his yeah, name? Robin. Uh, Robin, right. Robin Aaron, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we did not see Gilly. She's the only main character that we yeah. didn't see in this episode. What happened maybe, to her? Well, maybe she had, you know, the, her and Sam's baby, and she couldn't make the trip to King's Landing, <laughs> so Sam just had to go. You know, uh, Gilly is the Friday of. <laughs> you know, except you know, not being an AI or anything. Like yeah, that. not being AI. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, where was Gilly? What was she doing? Uh, why didn't she get to be in this episode? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I I think she's taking care of baby John, as <laughs> they were going to call him. So. I guess. So, yeah, that's the Game of Thrones finale. I was very satisfied with it. I enjoyed the season overall, even though, you know, it got a lot of flack like we talked about in our last episode. But despite yeah. every, all of it being rushed, I, it's hard to argue that. And I'll agree with that criticism. But I still like the story, how it played out and what we got to see on screen. So I'm yeah. already looking forward to, you know, rewatching the whole series once, you know, the big complete Blu-ray box set comes out. <laughs> and uh, I'll rewatch the whole thing again as one complete story. So. Yeah, but um, I also kind of had a feeling where instead of was it uh, six episodes, right? Yeah. Um, maybe they should have done like uh, TV events, right? Where like every qu- like they do four of them, like every quarter this year, so every four months or um, every three months, you know they um, they release like a two-hour episode. Throughout the year, yeah, that would have worked better. Maybe, but I just, I just really think David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, they just, you know, were ready to put an end to the series and move on. (laughs) I think, you know, this is kind of like a thing they didn't want anyone else to end it. At the same time, they were ready to end it. (laughs) Yeah, that way. Well, well, I mean, plus two, they they also have something really big coming up. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you heard him. I don't know if I'm bringing this news to you, but. 
they are going to be doing a Star Wars trilogy. What? Yeah. <laughs> Breaking news here on the podcast. How did I miss that? So maybe yeah, they, they just wanted to get it done and they can move on to Star Wars. Yeah, I'm sure that played a part in it. But, you know, and, yeah, and I thought, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how different the books are going to end <laughs> to how this is. I'm sure it'll be way more fleshed out, obviously. But I just really yeah. think all the big things that happened it all came from George R. R. Martin. That's how it's going to be. Where Daenerys destroying King's Landing, John killing her, Bran becoming king. I think all that's going to play out in the books, but probably in somewhat different ways and maybe involving different scenarios. But yeah. everyone complaining about that, or you know, they're blaming Dan and Dave for you know ruining characters and all that. I I think that was always the intended that the intended ending that George R. R. Martin had. So uh, I think all the blame should be pointed to them. If you're a criticism where you don't like the direction that the char- some of the characters win. I can understand how maybe you feel like a little being rushed, but <laughs> the end point, I don't think uh, it's something you should blame them on because I really think that's you know the ultimate story point and goal that all these characters were heading towards and that George R. R. Martin planned. So. Yeah, and, and plus too, like, if, if you didn't like this season and you, you don't like the show anymore, at least you don't have to watch it anymore, right? Yeah, it's over. No more saying. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, just it's put, over. like put the show out of its misery how can it still go on <laughs> and it's done now <laughs> yeah um also we forgot to mention tim the probably the most important thing that uh, happened in this episode besides john finally petting wolf i mean uh ghost uh, sorry uh is uh sir podrick yeah <laughs> he, he he finally got a uh knighthood yeah he's a knight <laughs> which hopefully involves more of him than just wheeling brand around yeah. <laughs> in his wheelchair but yeah i was glad he made it out to the series <laughs> yeah um also uh sir podrick spinoff i think that would be really good <laughs> uh tormund of course um yeah. the adventures of tormund and podrick <laughs> Why yeah, not? that would be the, the most bizarre show yeah. on television <laughs> <laughs> but I, i'd watch it yeah <laughs> So yeah, that's our thoughts on the Game of Thrones series finale. We were satisfied with it. Like I said, looking forward to just going back and experiencing the story as a whole now because I just loved it. Even though I'm a newer fan, just got into it about three years ago, I just got so engrossed and captivated with these stories and characters and it was a great ride for <laughs> those three years. Binging it, the first six seasons in the course of a month probably, and then <laughs> watching season seven and eight as they aired live was lots of fun. So it's been great. I can't imagine how it was for those who've been watching it since it first premiered back in 2011. I forget, Dane, did you watch it right away when it aired or did it yeah. take a few seasons? You did. Yeah, well, I, I read the book, um, uh, Game of Thrones, or A Game of Thrones, back yeah. when I was like, uh, like, I just started high school. Okay. So, yeah, I was pretty excited to, to see the show. That's awesome. So, yeah, I can't imagine <laughs> what it was like for you just going through the waiting eight years to see how it all ends. And this had to be a cool feeling yeah. just to build up. Yeah, and it, it, it was great because um, I had only read the first two books when the show came out. Mm, okay. And I had totally forgotten what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're watching it, would you say, oh, yeah, I remember. And that's cool that they you know adapted that part of the yeah. book that i like so. you know you know what was the most uh or the, or the thing that stuck out to me or or that i i remembered um 
was when uh, Ned had to go kill <laughs> uh, oh, the Daryls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, so... that's the one thing I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's a tragic, traumatic thing. Yeah. That he had to do. <laughs> yeah, I still, uh, right now, I've only read the first two books. So when, now that the series ended, I finished the latest Star Wars book, Master and Apprentice, which by the way, switching gears a little bit, that book is awesome, Dane. Looking for some great Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan stories, pre-Phantom Menace, obviously. Mm-hmm. Check out that book. It's really good. Okay. But I got. I want to get back to reading the Song of Ice and Fire books now, so I got to start with uh, what is it? Clash of Swords, I think, is the third one. So I got all the books. I got like a you know a box set of the books when after I watched the series back in 2016 and caught up, I got all the books. But I've only been able to read two since then but now i want to get back into it so that'll be well, my goal now looks like you're gonna have a lot of time to catch up before the next one comes exactly, out. exactly yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> maybe by the time i'm done uh, the winds of winter will finally be out <laughs> <laughs> also um a third criticism i would say of this final episode is uh when sam brings the book a song of ice and fire mm. that was a little on the nose yeah and I was like, uh, <laughs> Yeah, they, what are you doing? they kind of did the Lord of the Rings thing. That, yeah. <laughs> at the end of that, Frodo writes the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I know what was... you mean. <laughs> like, that was a little on the nose. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it's kind of, it's been done already before. Like I said, Lord of the Rings, no need for you guys to do the same thing. So right. I, I agree with that. So yeah, I guess uh, that covers our recaps and reviews of some of the bigger TV finales in regards to you know what we talk about on this show. So um, we can move on to some news and discussion topics, which we don't have quite a lot, but the biggest one is that um, in 2020, there's going to be shakeups to the Batman comic coming later that year. And some of them, you know, for the good and some of them kind of disappointing. And a lot of it has to do with a rumor that was going around before they made this announcement that Tom King is going to be ending his Batman run a little earlier than expected, where he wasn't going to do the planned 100-issue story arc. And that ended up being true, as in 2020, um, he's going to be leaving the Batman title. And it's, it's going to end on issue 85, I believe. is I might The number might be wrong, but um, around there is when his final issue on Batman is going to be. And it's going to be the City of Bane story arc. And you know, this is kind of a mixed bag for me because as I was talking about in our last episode, I was kind of feeling, you know, his story was starting to drag on a little bit. And I think it's about time to get into uh, the end game of his uh, story arc that he's been building towards. So I do kind of like it on that aspect, how by the end of the year, his story is going to be wrapped up and we'll get the conclusion of um, this latest battle between Batman and Bane, which is good in my opinion. But at the same time, I hate the fact that if it's because I'm not sure where this came from. If, you know, DC kind of shortchanged him a little bit saying, you know, you need to cut down your story arc or we're taking you off the book. So that means you got to cut your story arc down to just 85 issues. I would hate for that to be the case if, you know, editorial came in and kind of you know messed up his original plan. Or maybe this was his decision to leave the book early. I'm not sure. Because another bit of news that came out about Tom King is that he's going to be help writing the script for the new Gods movie with Ava DuVernay. So that's got to be <laughs> exciting for him. So maybe him working on a new God's movie interfered with um, him finishing out his Batman story. So I'm not quite sure, but it's just, it's a shame either way that his an original, his original plan and intention of telling a story between one within 100 issues is now not going to happen. So kind of a mixed bag there. 
But another thing that I do like starting in 2020 is that Batman is now going to be going back to just coming out once a month instead of the, you know, twice a month schedule, which, you know, will be a little saver on the wallet (laughs) and just going back to that old, uh, you know, one, one issue a month now. So I think um, that will be good in the long run. And it seems that DC is doing that with more of their titles now. So I think it's just a matter of time before most of their titles, big ones anyway, are going to be going back to that once a month schedule. So we'll see. But in their press release, DC is just saying that, you know, um, they're really, they said they're trying to change it to our comic book policy line to say, to kind of have a more uh, intertwined narrative across all DC comics is kind of the reasoning for this. You know, it's kind of standard. They say that every time there's a reshuffling or, you know, redoing certain books or switching up stuff. So kind of standard PR stuff right there. So we'll just kind of see where Batman goes from here. And the other big bit of news regarding this is that, um, even though Tom King's not going to finish his 100 issue plan, there is going to be a new 12 issue Batman slash Catwoman comic series in 2020. So um, I'm sure that's going to pick up on certain threads. I think he probably had planned for that 100 issue story arc. So I'm sure if anything like big that got left out, will probably be continued on in that Batman Catwoman story there. So that'll be interesting to check out to see how that plays. So yeah, there's some changes going on into the Batman world as far as comics goes beginning in 2020. Some of them, but I think for the better and some of it's kind of, you know, kind of a shame the original plan that Tom King had didn't get uh, to, you know, be fully utilized. So uh, we'll see how it goes in 2020 regarding the Batman title, but uh, we'll be here to talk about it (laughs) once we get there and we have all the, see how this arc ends and where this new Batman and Catwoman comic starts. So um, should be fun. It is is that how you pronounce it, Tim? Uh, Ava DuVernay? I've heard different pronunciations uh, for it. <laughs> I heard yeah. Ava uh, DuVernay. DuVernay. Like, uh, yeah. Or Ava DuVernay, like I said. So uh, I'm not got to hear her say it at some point. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Maybe when she's doing more interviews or talking about new gods or just whatever new project she has, I got to pay attention to how uh, she, someone refers yeah. to her and if she you know, acknowledges it, saying, yeah, that's how you pronounce the name. So. Yeah, uh, still don't know how she got at Ava. Yeah, I know. <laughs> how did she do that? It's like well, at Tim. Like, like I'm sure somebody already has at Tim. We gotta. Right? We should check to see how long she's been on Twitter. Maybe she's been on for so long that she was the first one to get it. So. <laughs> oh right, yeah, um, yeah. That that could be it. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> And then the last bit of news is not nothing entirely new, but just as we talked about in our last episode, the reports about Robert Pattinson being the new Batman and how it was came down to him and Nicholas Holt as the main two. But now it looks like it is a done deal that Robert Pattinson is now officially the new Batman as the writers reporting that Warner Brothers has confirmed to them that um, um, some are saying they are in negotiations, but then Variety saying, no, it's a done deal. Like negotiations are finished. He's Batman. So, when it comes from a report like that from Variety and all the other trades, because on the last our last episode it was like different trades are saying different things. You know, um, one was saying he is Batman, other saying no, it's still him and Nicholas Holt. They're still doing screen testing, but now every like the different trades are saying that he is Batman, or they're in negotiations. It's no longer saying it's up between him and someone else. They're saying he is Warner Brothers' pick. It's just a matter of if the deal is done or not. So, for all intents and purposes. Robert Pattinson is now our new Batman and 
that's how you got to look at it now before there was still a little bit of uncertainty as far as it not being 100% done. But now I think that is the way to look at it now where he is our new Batman. Yeah, I'm good with it. Um, I think he's a good actor. Um, and I know he did those Twilight movies, but <laughs> <laughs> not going to hold that against him. Yeah, you can't hold it against him. So, yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, by the way, uh, Ava DuVernay, or DuVernay, or however you want to pronounce it, <laughs> she joined Twitter in 2008. That's pretty early on. Yeah, so, so. that's why she got at Ava. Yeah, there you and, go. So, <laughs> get on her. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it for our news and discussion topics, in which can lead us right into our comic book reviews. And on this one, we're going to be reviewing three comics. Um, they're going to be Detective Comics 1004, Batman Last Night on Earth number one, and Doomsday Clock number 10. So some big books on this one, especially with uh, Last Night on Earth and Doomsday Clock. So it should be fun to talk about and get into <laughs> what stories were told in those issues. So, But before we do, got to always throw out that spoiler warning. We're going to be talking about the stuff that went down in these books. And like I said, some big stuff <laughs> in a few of these issues. So if you haven't read them yet might want to hold off read them then come back and hear what we had to say so but we also have to give our rating scale so what do you think it should be for this one dane um different ways you can say ava duvernay yeah <laughs> <laughs> sounds appropriate to me <laughs> also um didn't get to detective comics number 1004 okay didn't get to read that one well thankfully i got you covered dane <laughs> yeah okay well i'm not sure if that was a, a good issue for you to jump back into the detective comics on because it's in the middle of a new story arc yeah, <laughs> with uh, right. Arkham Knight, unless you've been really paying attention to my reviews on it <laughs> and just remembering yeah. every word I said. <laughs> I, I, I mostly just turn the volume down yeah. and, and watch uh, movies. <laughs> while <you're doing> that. <laughs> no. oh, I'm so hurt, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> my reviews are law. I give the final say how good or bad these issues are. <laughs> Well, they, they kind of are. I mean, not so much with the comics, but with uh, other things like uh, Godzilla versus or or that Godzilla movie. And now I'm not going to see it because you didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd, I'd say you should rent it just for those cool monster action sequences. Spend like two or three bucks to check those out because I think it's definitely worth that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Detective Comics 1004. And this one is really going in into the origins of the new Arkham Knight from this story. And as I said on our last one, wow, I do like the new direction that we're going for this, you know, new Arkham Knight being a new character and having her ties really be connected to Arkham Asylum with her being the daughter of Jeremiah Arkham. But I got to say, I wasn't a fan of her origin story. Uh, Peter Tomasi was trying something different, but it just didn't work for me. Um, so basically, this issue is Jeremiah Arkham telling Batman and Robin, you know, about his daughter and what happened to her and why she's the Arkham Knight. So pretty much he falls in love with a doctor at Arkham uh, named Ingrid. And she's someone who actually works really well with the Arkham Asylum inmates. And um, she has someone who like they actually like <laughs> some of the inmates where she has a calming influence around around the inmates. They really take to her. Uh, they tell her things. So she's pretty much the best doctor I think Arkham has had <laughs> is what she's been set up to be here. So um, they fall in love. They get married. Uh, she gets pregnant. 
And as she's pregnant, Jeremiah Arkham is kind of telling her, you know, you really shouldn't be here with the baby. You should be taking it easy, especially Arkham. You know, it's kind of the worst place to be <laughs> if you're pregnant with a baby. Anything can happen here, a breakout, a riot, something bad can happen here. And that's exactly what happens when she was really close to giving birth to their daughter. A, a breakout happens, a riot, inmates are out. Jeremiah can't get to his wife. And so he has to make his way to try to find her. But during that breakout, Batman is there to you know kind of deal with it as well. But here's the strange thing that happens here. The inmates, like I said, they kind of take a liking to her. They actually protect her from just kind of the normal inmates of Arkham, like all the main supervillains, Joker, Harley, Grundy, uh, Clayface. Uh, they're all there. Poison Ivy, they're there to help Ingrid give birth to her daughter. They protect her. Clayface even puts up this big clay barrier to make sure no harm comes to her as she gives birth. And it was kind of shocking to see. And Joker even, you know, spanks the baby after <laughs> she delivers it, you know, to kind of wake it up. And it was just strange seeing all the Arkham inmates protect her. It's just, I don't know, this felt off to me where, you know, maybe one or two could really make a connection with her, but for all of them to help her and not have any ulterior motives it just i don't know it felt off but it just really didn't connect with me or click with me but then what happens as she gives after she gives birth um some batarangs make their way through clayface's clay barrier and it strikes her in the neck and it ends up killing her and i thought oh so one of batman batman threw his batarangs and one of them you know got led astray or he aimed wrong and it went through and killed her okay i could set off why the arkham knight hates batman but no, it's actually just a random inmate at Arkham who got his hands on some batarangs. He threw them, and that ended up killing... Uh, uh, I'm already blanking on her name now. <laughs> but the mother of the Arkham Knight, Ingrid. Uh, it ends up killing her. And you know, the, then Solomon Grundy just kills the inmate that threw it. And all the Arkham Asylum inmates, like Joker, Harley, Poison Ivy, Two-Face, they're all distraught at seeing that she died. And, you know... That leads to another thing that I had a hard time sitting with in the story where um, Jeremiah Arkham, you know, he pretty much raised his daughter, Astrid, in Arkham Asylum. He let her, you know, he taught her there, educated her there, and then she would sneak out and go to visit the inmates. And there's this panel where she's talking with the Joker, sharing, uh, you know, showing him a bedtime story, a fantasy story. And Joker's, you know, being, you know, being a nice guy here. <laughs> he's listening to her. He's talking with her, giving her encouragement. And she does that with several of the inmates, establishing this relationship and friendship with them. And ah, there's just something about it that doesn't work for me because we've seen this before where Joker and other inmates can manipulate someone, like pretend they're being friends. But like I said, they have ulterior motives. And I just find it hard to believe that they'd be true blue good guys to you know astrid here and even ingrid they're because they're crazy super villains you know they're not <laughs> a lot of them are evil to send for all of them to show this good side it just didn't seem natural to their characters to me so that, i just have a hard time believing in this plot point and this origin that uh, peter tomasi gave to this new arkham knight and the other thing i really didn't like about it is that jeremiah arkham led Ashton to believe that, yes, it was Batman who killed your mother. He said it was, you know, better to realize... He gives us some quote about how it's better to have like this devil that you know about than the devil that you don't know. To kind of show that it's better, you know, to have 
someone to push your anger and hate towards and having no one and just living this life of, I guess, misery of not knowing who, who killed your mother and who's the cause of your grief. So she just grew up having this hatred for Batman and just, you know, wanting to kill him in this this, uh, eradicate his darkness that she believes he's bringing over the course of Gotham. So as she grows older, she becomes training uh, to become a formidable foe for Batman and thus her becoming the Arkham Knight. So that's pretty much the origin of it. And um, she's still analyzing her, wants to establish her plan of bringing hope and light to Gotham and kind of, you know, it kind of ends with her really knowing that she's not all there mentally wanting to bring this like fantasy castle and utopia the, cit- the Citadel of Light, as she calls it, to Gotham. And there's this panel where she's seen, it's like the castle in a storybook in Gotham. So um, that's where the issue ends of hers, kind of still wanting to bring about her plan to change Gotham for the better and get out the darkness that Batman, she says, brings. So, um, yeah, this issue, her origin just didn't work for me, unfortunately. And um, I just... That aspect of the villains really kind of taking to her and her mother, just showing them to be actually caring and loving characters that just didn't seem true <laughs> to these villains. Not, I could see maybe one or two, but for all of them, all the main ones, uh, I don't think it works. So I'm just going to give this issue a two out of five ways to pronounce uh, the name of Ava DuVernay. <laughs> see, I probably not even can pronounce it right when I say it. Ava DuVernay. <laughs> I'll probably say it different each time. So. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, wasn't a fan of this origin story for Arkham Knight, and don't think you missed too much on not reading this one, Dane. Unfortunately, but hopefully yeah. the story arc picks up. Even though I'm not a fan of her origin, maybe the you know character can still establish herself as you know a cool new villain for Batman to face off against. But we'll see. But from that, we can get onto one of our bigger issues that came out: Batman Last Night on Earth. This is the big new story from. Uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, as this is being built up as, you know, his final Batman tale <laughs> that he's going to tell for what he's established since he came on the book. So it's a crazy one. So um, I don't know. Before I give it, I want to I'm real curious to hear what you thought of it, Dane. So <laughs> I'll let you take the lead on this one first. But. Um, I thought it started off really well, um, where it was like a big fake out where it was you know, Bruce was going after this big mystery thing, and then he sees a kid on the ground, and then he's like, oh, let me help you, and then he gets shot. Mm-hmm. And he wakes up in the hospital, and Joker is his doctor, and you see Harley is, you know, his doctor, and all these other guys, right? And then Alfred has, like, all these explanations of, like, how he he learned everything, like, you, you learned how to fight from this person. Um, you think Dr. So-and-so is the Riddler or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really like that. It turned out to be like a virtual reality kind of thing. Um, yeah. But then after that, I felt like the the issue kind of went off the rails. Um Batman wakes up in the desert and there's Joker's head in a lantern. Yeah. <laughs> um, then he goes to the remains of Gotham, is it, Tim? Yeah. Yeah, and there's like these these people that are possessed by the Green Lantern rings and uh, they're attacking 
uh, Joker and the Batman. And then he gets rescued by somebody, and then they they go to Wonder Woman, and then Wonder Woman's talking about like the gods, and they're gonna send the survivors to Hades, and you know they're talking about all all about gods, and that is where I sort of got lost, or the issue lost me. Um, I felt it was a little too close to what Grad Morrison does. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear you on that. <laughs> And I felt like, and, and I mean, this is just the first issue, so like, maybe I'm judging it too soon, but it feels like uh, Scott Snyder is ju- just trying to do what Grant Morrison does. Um, that great fake out in the beginning, that was just, you know, the preamble to this new gods, gods, Hades, Wonder Woman, Amazon. Amazon thing, you know, mm. um, and I don't really get or or like that sort of story, you know. So, yeah, for me, it it just totally lost me. Uh, I thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, but I thought that um, I missed something, like I. Somewhere in Scott Snyder's story, he mentions some of this stuff uh, because he he does the Star Wars thing where it just jumps right into the story and you're supposed to know everything (laughs) or at least you're supposed to, you know, do the research like, okay, who's this and what are they doing? You know, like I, I felt like that's what Scott Snyder was trying to do. And did did I miss something, Tim? Well, I think your Grant Morrison comparison is dead on because it's like where you had to read almost every arc or story or issue of Grant yeah. Morrison's story that led up to one particular big event. I think this is what Scott Snyder is doing because he's there's little things in here that if you didn't read certain parts of his run, you're not going to know <laughs> what's going on. So I think there is that element to that where it's paying off for those who have read every issue of you know his Batman run and some of his event stuff that he did like dark knight's metal and that type of stuff so there is probably something you missed i would say (laughs) yeah but like talking about like like they're trying to create new gods and stuff that was part of another another story scott sanders uh, story um that one see that might tie into dark knight's metal Mm. some of the stuff and maybe with justice league that he's doing as well so because i haven't read his justice league stuff i want to now that i think those issues are coming onto the dc universe app i'll probably check those out but yeah, some of their stuff that might be some in that connection, maybe. So, as yeah. people who haven't read everything that Scott Snyder has done recently, that's probably we're probably feeling the effects of maybe not putting all the pieces together on certain things. Yeah, well, I mean, you see, like I said, it started out really great. I, I, I liked how they um, sort where Snyder sort of made like you know Bruce is crazy and he's in Arkham Asylum. And he just made this whole Batman thing up. Um, his villains are his doctors. But then it sort of just goes off the rails, jumps the shark. Um, and, yeah, I don't, I don't know where it's really going. Um, I kind of don't really understand fully what the story is. Yeah. Like, it, it is... 
is Bruce constantly waking up or is he, are, are, are these, because there's like a little section where, uh, I think one woman is explaining to him, like Bruce Wayne, the, the original Bruce Wayne made like a, a machine or something. Yeah. There would be a Batman for every future iteration of Gotham. Mm, uh, like the perfect clone, <laughs> right? The perfect clone. So are we seeing different versions of that clone? Like definitely or... in, this, in this story we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the sense that I got. Um, but what was that beginning part and how does that tie into the machine? Yeah. And how, do, how, how does that, that Bruce Wayne with, with Wonder Woman tie in with that machine? And how does that Bruce Wayne with the Joker head tie in with, uh, that machine, you know? So, like, I kind of don't know what's going on. Don't know, really know the story. Uh, I thought the art was really great, especially that cover yeah. that joke with um, uh, the Joker smile on it. Mm-hmm. it was, that was, I really like that. Um, I, I really like the new Wonder Woman with the mohawk. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a really cool look for her. Um but yeah, I can't help but feel coming away from this, you know, especially this is the last Snyder story. Um, uh, I feel a little left out, uh, left out and left uh, let down, you know, because mm-hmm. I kind of don't know what's going on. And I'm not I don't <laughs> I don't really like the new gods, the gods, the, the whole myth mythological thing that Grant Morrison does. And I feel like that's what Scott Snyder is doing. It's like, oh, why are you doing that? You know, you're so great at, you know, writing these, these stories that are grounded, you know, like the core vowels or, um, or black mirror, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I, I just feel like you got to tell a story that's grounded I, you can't do the Grant Morrison thing because Grant Morrison does that, you know, like, and he does it really well. And uh, I mean, maybe he's just trying a new thing and maybe it'll pay off in the end. But uh, for right now, it's with this one issue, it's more of a, uh, I don't I don't like it, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gathering that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't like it. Um, so. Because the art was good, I'm going to give it a two uh, out of five ways you can say Ava DuVernay. Yeah, uh, for me, I think I liked it a little more than you did, but I totally understand where you're coming from. And yeah. it felt similar in a lot of the stuff you were saying, especially about the beginning. And even that aspect of Bruce uh, you know, being kind of crazy and making it all this up in his mind, that isn't an entirely new concept we've seen before like superhero storytelling but at the same time i was really enjoying what scott snyder was setting up there as far as you know bruce actually being the one to kill his parents and this is how he's coping with everything like that was an interesting avenue i thought it would be like i said interesting to explore but that was just kind of the setup for what we got later on and i agree where the highlight of the story was in the beginning of seeing you know bruce in arkham and alfred trying to convince them you know it was all in your head and even the very, very beginning that we see Bruce trying to solve this, 
mystery where someone's drawing these chalk outlines about Gotham, but when you look at the whole map of Gotham, it makes a silhouette of a dead body of Batman, and is where his heart's at is where Crime Alley is at Crime Alley, and that's where he meets that kid who ends up shooting him, and it leads to the chain of events that happen here. So um, I do agree. Once we get into that, you know, post-apocalyptic era of the story. And which is another thing that we've seen before. And to be honest, like post-apocalyptic scenarios isn't really my favorite setting for <laughs> stories. And a lot of franchises. Oh, do and it. Tim, can I say one thing? Yeah. Did Did you get lost where when uh, Wonder Woman is? Exp- I think it's Wonder Woman. She is explaining like something with Lex and mm-hmm. the villains banded together. Okay. And, Glad you brought yeah. that up because I was going to lead into another thing. I really didn't get get into or like in this explanation yeah. this kind of the downfall of the world and heroes and villains and where it came from because i just said wonder woman explains to, to bruce here that lex just kind of went on went on tv and his broadcast to the world saying you know like to inspire the people to saying you know that you know goodness is like the oldest lie like be good and reading the quote he was saying here like he says he's saying People tell you to be good and to kind of, you know, stay in your lane or whatnot in this life. But he says, but he's trying to urge people to do what they want. You take back control and the world. He says, he makes a comparison to like the Garden of Eden and not eating the apple. He says, eat all the apples you want. And just kind of inspiring people to go back against, you know, heroes, villains, government, it looks like. Just, and they end up doing that. Wonder Woman says the people were the doom of us all, as she tells to Bruce. And I just kind of find that hard to believe. With all the superheroes and villains and the powers they have, they're just going to let ordinary citizens kind of take control and kill them. I mean, she even says, I think that's how Batman dies. I mean, we see the beginning with him getting shot, but it makes the point here where maybe he survives that. And then once Batman or the Justice League try to help the people, give them shelter, or at least listen to them to try to work with them, they just turn on him and they end up killing several heroes. And she says they tore him apart, the original Batman. I guess, you know, the pre-clone one. And I just kind of find that hard to believe. Like, Batman and the heroes would let that happen. Uh, I'm not not too sure about that. And then there's this new uh, new god that came out called Omega, who, you know, took advantage of this and pretty much, I think, the one who turned the, well, the world into a wasteland in this post-apocalyptic scenario. There's a shot where, to show how powerful he is, he ripped off the head of Darkseid. He just seen him lift up, lifting the head up. So, yeah. I just wasn't too keen on the whole idea of how, you know, the world came to an end just by the people revolting when you got all these powerful beings who I would think would be able to stop it before it got way too out of hand. But apparently they didn't. So wasn't too keen on that aspect of the story. So, yeah, I agree with you, Dane. It kind of I appreciate what Scott Snyder is trying to do here, but you could just tell he's trying to evoke Grant Morrison. Like he said, I know he's even said in interviews how. Um, Grant Morrison has inspired him to do uh, in conversations with them with them talking to each other has inspired him to do a story like this and uh, maybe they'll have some great payoff by, by the end of the story but right now I'm just not fully invested into this you know setting of a post-apocalyptic world with uh, Batman trying to continue on that fight as all the heroes who gave up like Wonder Woman's given up they're having trouble finding Superman so Batman's going to try to you know, do this one last fight and this one last venture with a severed Joker head, which is just weird. <laughs> Not too sure where that's going to go, but visually it's a striking image of seeing Batman hold a lantern with a Joker head in it. So um, the stuff I liked about it, 
but mainly in the beginning, like you, the art is fantastic. And I could get in, I got in, I don't mind the, you know, grander scale stories of the new gods and all that mythology. I do like that stuff in the DC universe. So I, it's not the worst thing in the world that he's trying to incorporate that here, but um, I just got to see where it goes. So right now my biggest issue is just kind of how the events took place and how uh, the world went into a downfall be all because of uh, these people. So um, I'm going to give this issue three out of five ways to pronounce Ava DuVernay. And uh, we'll just see where it goes from here. It's uh, definitely an interesting concept to say the least. So we'll see what Scott Snyder has in store for us later on, which looks to be involved Bane and Scarecrow as the tease uh, for the yeah. next issue. So we'll see, but not quite the great start. This epic <laughs> that's been uh, being teased and, uh, brought about that scott snyder has been saying not to the not up to the best of starts but not the worst either so i'm kind of in the middle so we'll just have to wait and see where it goes that image was pretty cool of uh bane yeah <laughs> the and, scarecrow just on his back yeah. <laughs> weird. yeah um yeah so so we're not that far apart then yeah not really i mean some yeah. of the criticisms were in agreement with i just enjoyed some of that stuff a little more than you did in some certain yeah. areas so yeah because because i don't really like the the whole mythology the mythology of the gods you know kind of supposed to be like the greek gods mm-hmm. greek mythology is uh, okay <laughs> so, yeah I, mean, I like all that stuff when it's when it has its place in the dc universe so like if it merges good with the story snyder's trying to tell here uh it could be make for something cool but we'll see yeah but the next big issue is Doomsday Clock, if I could say it right. Number 10. Yes, the series still exists, <laughs> despite all the delays and pushback. Uh, we still got Doomsday Clock number 10 and only two more issues after this. So, But man, despite all the delays, which are you know disappointing, these issues don't disappoint. And this one in particular, this was a fantastic one because Jeff Johns kind of changes the dc universe as we know it and which is something i was expecting to happen and once the series was first announced and we knew that dr manhattan played a big role in dc rebirth and you know messing up with certain elements of its history and we got a lot of answers in this one but also raises some questions as well but i really liked how jeff johns just kind of went about and told the story here so uh, throughout the course of the doomsday clock series there's been this character called carver coleman who's an actor and we've seen his uh, movies as this private investigator and like these old detective noir stories be, be watched by certain characters. And it's pretty much uh, the black, uh, blanking on the name of the, the comic, the kid was reading the black, I want to say the black pearl, but I know the black curse of the black pearl. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So I was getting confused. Oh, oh, um, also the, the more I see of this new Watchmen show, uh, the more excited I'm getting. Nice. Yeah, I like the trailer that for it. Really good. That looked really good. Yeah, uh, yes. Johnson's in it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It looks like they're doing. It feels like Watchmen, but yet they're still doing their own thing with it. <laughs> but it, like I said, it still feels like in that Watchmen world, which is you know cool, which it should be. Yeah. So yeah, I was getting the Black Pearl confused with the, the Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> movie ship. So I was like, are they the same, or am I just getting them mixed up? But I so. Think I'm- I think I'm right, Tim. Well, look it up while I'm talking and give yeah, it my just so I can be sure. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, this actor, Carver Coleman, his movies is serving as like, you know, that story of, of the comic from the original Watchmen. And we finally got the significance of that character. As it turns out, 
Um, he's pretty much uh, Dr. Manhattan's connection to... Okay, Tim. <laughs> were we dead wrong? So, yeah. <laughs> um, Curse of the Black Pearl, right? Uh, um, is the <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, that's the Pirates of the Caribbean, Jim. Um, the comic in Watchmen is... Tales of the Black Freighter. Freighter, there you yeah. go. I knew, <laughs> I knew I was getting them mixed up. So. <laughs> so just so we don't like sound like total morons, just keep calling it the Black Pearl throughout as I'm talking about review. But uh. anyway, so yeah, this character Carver Coleman serves as the Black Freighter type <laughs> story in Doomsday. Is that it? <laughs> you sure it's not Black Pearl? <laughs> We'll call it the Black Pearl Freighter. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so his significance, this actor or this character, Carver Coleman, is he was fr- Dr. Manhattan's first interaction and connection to the DC universe. I like how it's told, you know, there's that moment from Watchmen where he tells um, Ozzy Mandeus where I'm leaving the galaxy for one less complicated. And he was drawn to the DC universe. I like it's because he even says in his monologue, he was drawn to Superman's world for, you know, reasons he did not understand yet, but it was because of Superman. And over the course of this issue, we learned why that was. And when first when he arrives there, he's having trouble, you know, using his powers in this universe. He can't see in the future. He can't see, you know, how things are going to happen like he normally does. But then when he gets into contact with Carver Coleman, he's an actor, you know, who was down on his luck, couldn't get parts. But when he meets Dr. Manhattan... And Dr. Manhattan starts talking to him and establishing a relationship, he's able to, you know, make a connection with this universe and in turn his powers. And he first, that's when he tells this actor, you know, his future. And he keeps telling him, you know, he's actually going to have a successful acting career. You're going to win an award. So the more he gets comfortable with Carver Coleman, the more access he has to his powers and is connected to this universe and is starting to be the normal uh, Dr. Manhattan. And so it's pretty much every year he has he meets Carver Coleman at this diner and tells him good news and bad news. And eventually it comes to the point where he says, you know, you're not going to be in this world pretty, pretty soon. And Carver Coleman is wondering like, you know, what does this mean? And we'll find out later on. But, um, they hear as at one point they're at this diner in, in April 18th, 1938, he hears on the radio, the reports about people seeing, you know, a man who can let the car over his head and leap over a building. And that leaves, Dr. Manhattan to know, you know, that's that's probably the Superman <laughs> what, what drew him to this universe. And he goes and he keeps seeing these different... He, first, he sees one where Superman does lift the car, then he sees it where goes to a time period where he doesn't... Superman doesn't see him lift the car and Superman doesn't exist in 1938. And over the course of his, you know, findings, um, we can see him see the Justice League or the Justice Society of America that they have a conversation of wanting Superman to be a part of the group. Then there, he sees a conversation where they're talking about something else where Superman doesn't even exist yet. And the cool thing about this is that he's seeing the timeline being changed. And he even says there's beings like the Anti-Monitor and Krona, characters who in DC Comics lore have changed the course of the DC Universe timeline. And pretty much in, in a meta way, you know, they affect the relaunch of the Superman origin and titles. And it goes, Dr. Manhattan even goes as far as to call, you know, he says the multiverse exists, but the multiverse centers around this main DC universe. The events that transpire on this earth affect every multiverse. 
And so he calls it not the multiverse, but the metaverse. This D, the main DC universe, Earth Zero, is the metaverse because every change that involves uh, Superman has ripple effects across the multiverse. And I love how Superman is the one, you know, the main focal point of this universe. Things that affect him affect the rest of the universe. So as we see Dr. Manhattan try to see these different timelines, I love how Jeff Johns told it here where as we see the different origins of Superman or as he sees them, it's telling us the different or showing us, the reader, the different reboots and relaunches that Superman has had over the course of his comics history. Like after Crisis on Infinite Earths, we got that uh, John Byrne run, I think the Man of Steel comic relaunch, which shows Superman or Dr. Manhattan sees Clark Kent be found in the 80s, no longer the 1930s. And then later on, uh, we see when that got changed with DC, uh, with the new 52, we see how Superman has his new origins there. And all Dr. Manhattan is witnessing all this. And I love how it's showing elements of what we read as comic readers in all those big events with like the new 52, with Crisis on Infinite Earths, all that being real to uh, Dr. Manhattan, hence uh, being called the metaverse. I love that aspect of it. But then he decides, says, you know, for himself, how much will Superman change if I affect the course of a certain moment in history? And that's where it was established before we got earlier on in Doomsday Clock how he changed the fate of Alan Scott where he didn't get the Green Lantern and he ended up dying in that train crash. And now that had a ripple effect as far as uh, the continuity of Superman joining the Legion. And we get uh, shown there how we see Superman's first interaction with the Legion, but then we see him kind of disappear once Dr. Manhattan um, changed that course of history with Alan Scott not finding the Lantern and the Legion of Superheroes doesn't exist. And then it gets revealed how... This is the part where kind of was interesting and made me question certain elements of the New 52, where it seems that John, uh, Dr. Manhattan, actually caused the New 52 to happen instead of Flashpoint, which, you know, was very interesting because he kind of wanted to create a new version of this universe that was less hopeful and more akin to his world that he knew from. And that's another thing I liked about it. The reason he's drawn to this universe and Superman is because the hope and inspiration that Clark and Superman just brings to the DC universe and how Dr. Manhattan is fascinated by that and and by Superman because we all know how messed up the Watchmen world was. So (laughs) for him to see a being so strong, be that beacon of hope, and he wants to, you know, see what would happen if that gets taken away. So in the New 52, we know that Clark lost his parents Jonathan and Martha Kent in a car crash and Dr. Manhattan looks to be the reason for that and that's why that new 52 Superman was that less inspiring and less hopeful uh, version of the character that a lot of us fans weren't too happy with in those new 52 stories and Dr. Manhattan even said you know it was because of the loss and not having you know the the Kents around for as long as um, he had in other versions of the timeline Dr. Manhattan found himself you know relating more to this version of Superman and it was more like people he's used to and heroes he's used to in the Watchmen world. So it's just very interesting how Jeff Johns is crafting a way for all these reboots and relaunches of the DC universe to all be connected uh, to Superman and Dr. Manhattan and how they're going to have this, you know, collision course of ideals, which has been teased right from the get-go when Doomsday Clock was announced. And we're getting, we're getting close to that confrontation here. Because Dr. Manhattan still sees that eventual future, the last future that he knows of 
a Superman with red eyes about to punch him or about to, you know, punch something, but it's looking like it's coming straight towards him and then just emptiness. And he's wondering, does Superman destroy me or does he destroy the metaverse, which would, of course, cause nothing but black emptiness, which is a panel that Doctor that we see when Dr. Manhattan describes this. So um, it's just crazy. And as I said, going back to that character, Carver Coleman, how Dr. Manhattan told him, you know, that pretty soon you're not going to be in this world. And how we find out that Dr. Carver, or calling him Dr. Carver Coleman, but he's not a doctor, he's an actor. But how Carver Coleman's mom ends up killing him, because it has been established he was murdered um, as an actor. And we see him get murdered, and Dr. Manhattan reveals he was there right before it happened. He didn't intervene with it. How he's not intervening with certain scenarios. And so, um, as we the issue ends with Dr. Manhattan realizing all this, and we see Superman still in that coma from the events that happened, um, with Firestorm, but um, he, he, we see Superman finally wake up, and it looks like he's realizing that what Doctor Manhattan—not necessarily what he's doing—but he's realizing that Doc, the presence of Doctor Manhattan in some way. And he describes not Superman, but Doctor Manhattan says, you know, he's on a collision course with the Man of Action. This to this universe's hope, and I have become the villain. So yeah, I just cannot wait to see this confrontation of Superman. And Dr. Manhattan. And Jeff John decided it's not going to be this big, epic battle of these two superpowered beings going about it. But like I said before, it's kind of a battle of ideals of what they represent. Superman's, you know, never ending hope and inspiration that he gives to this universe. And the fact that Jeff John is really focusing on that and how important Superman is to every DC universe, timeline, multiverse. I just love the importance that Jeff Johns has set on that in this story and how Dr. Manhattan is messing with it. Um, because he's so fascinated by Superman and his ideals as a character and how he created or inspired this whole universe and how the DC universe did come from Superman with that first issue of Action Comics in 1938 and how Dr. Manhattan even went to that point in history in the DC universe to see that, but how it kept changing and changing because of all these reboots and relaunches. So that metaverse uh, tagline that's now being described for uh, the DC universe is very fitting, and I love what Jeff John is doing here. So, it's going to be a bit of a long of a wait for issues eleven and twelve, I'm sure, but I don't care. I'll keep waiting as long as I have to to make sure they're as great as they need to be. With you know the story that Jeff John's telling and the fantastic art by Gary Frank, you know just he's just knocking it out of the park, and those, it makes those delays worth it. Once we get uh, once I have the book in my hand, and I'm just seeing this beautiful art to go along with this really cool story that Jeff John is telling. So I'm going to give this issue four and a half out of five ways to pronounce uh, the name Ava DuVernay. So I loved it. Can't wait to see where it's going to end and this, where things are going to be left because this issue changed things for how we look at the DC universe. But I can't imagine what the aftermath is going to be when it's over. So like I said, it's going to be a while, but I'm just chomping at the bit to <laughs> find out. And I'll just be, have to be patient because I know it'll be worth it just like this one was. Good. We'll end things on a positive note. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, that'll do it for our comic reviews and this episode in general. So, as always, I'll throw it to you, Dane, for the outro. All right, just go over to BatmanUniverse.net, Facebook.com slash Universe, Twitter handles at BatmanUniverse, show Twitter handles at BatfansPodcast, Tim's Twitter handles at TimG311, and my Twitter handles at DaneSaysBanana. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes, and you can email the show at bestfanswithoutpants at gmail.com. So, with that, 
like we say at the, the end of every single episode okay? we love each and every one of you with all of our monster hearts despite the <laughs> humans getting in the way <laughs> monster hearts I like that see you guys next time see you next time everybody Yeah.